Can you hear me all right? Um, thanks, Stu. My, my name's Tim, for anyone I haven't met yet. Um, I'll be down the front here with the boxes uh, with some other staff from the Burnt Youth Learning Centre. So I'm uh, looking forward to having a chat uh, with you then. Um, now, before we get started, um, there's just a little bit of a clarification that the elders wanted to run through. Uh, in the session, um, the books that we've been going through, you might have seen on day one of the devotion this week, um, it caused a bit of concern when uh, he seemed to encourage a kind of, you might have read this, a kind of carelessness when it came to giving money. Um, did anyone read that? It sort of raised the eyebrows a little bit um, because uh, it seemed to say that there should be a kind of carelessness when it came to giving money, even if we suspected that the money may be used for harmful purposes. Uh, so the elders just wanted to say they disagree with that, um, that the clarification is that while we are called to be generous with our money, and hopefully we'll see that today, um, we are also called to be wise. Both are necessary. Uh, being wise isn't an excuse not to be generous with our money, but um, being wise with money seeks to ensure the best for those around us, okay? So... That may mean not giving money sometimes to someone who struggles with a drug addiction and instead supporting them through rehabilitation and counselling. It might mean not giving handouts to a person who could work but chooses not to and instead encouraging them with accountability and challenges in order that they may be able to provide for themselves and their family. I guess the challenge for us in our society is often that in our uh, busyness or our laziness, our thoughtlessness, we can just defer to throwing money at things rather than um, getting involved in ways that may be more helpful. So that was a little clarification on that particular devotion um, and just leave that there, shelve that um, and we'll start today's message. Now I've got to admit to being a little bit nervous. I feel strongly that the better I can communicate this morning the message, the more of a hypocrite I will seem. I probably should expand on that a little, but I feel that I will be more open to the charge of hypocrisy once I finish. If I do a good job, uh, the charge of hypocrite may well be levelled at me. So at the end of the service, if you come pat me on the back and say, well done, hypocrite, maybe, maybe I'll... Um, I'll have done a good job. But I should expand on that a little before you all leave out the side doors. Um, there's a favourite Bible teacher of mine and he wrote the words, the more faithful preachers are to the word of God in their preaching, the more liable they are to the charge of hypocrisy. Why is that? Because the more faithful people are to the word of God, the higher the message is that they will preach. The higher the message the further they will be from obeying it themselves, right? So I just want to out myself here and now at the beginning. I cannot fully justify the way I spend my time, my energy, my money. And I don't, I don't want to try to justify myself before God. I simply want to say, just like the tax collector in Luke 18, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So that's my confession at the start. But it's not an excuse to just sit in that, right? I'm also encouraged that um, although I can't justify myself, I find great hope 
in Christ to move me from where I am into where he will have me to be. And that's, that's all our prayer, right? I don't think any of us come to the word of God, tick the box and go, yep, nailing that. I think if we truly see it, we'll be humbled by it and then we'll want to move in it with the power that God provides. So the message today is on generosity. We're talking about stewarding God's money. And I'd just like to start, if you've got your Bibles there, turning to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to read verses, uh, initially we're going to read verses 13 to 21. So Luke chapter 12, and to start 13 to 21. Jesus is a great storyteller. And we're going to hear him uh, tell a story now that's uh, hopefully going to be revealing for us and challenging to us. You got it there, Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool. Here we go. Someone from the crowd said to him, Jesus, he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, Jesus said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out. He's talking to everyone now. Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. He said, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is, Jesus says, with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We'll just stop there for the moment. We'll just think about that story as Jesus is telling it, and we'll imagine the initial reactions of the crowd, maybe even your own initial reactions. Because I guess in our day, as in Jesus' day, we might have been tempted at the start of the story to call this guy that we're hearing about wise, right? He might have been to the financial counselor and worked out his plan, and he, he knows what's happening. And we might say, we might even hold him up as a sort of standard to achieve this guy. Look, look at all he has achieved. He's got himself set up. He's tread his own path and gained security for himself and his family. He can now relax. He can enjoy life free from worry, living the good life. This might be someone, like I said, that we, that we put on a pedestal, something that we all might want to attain. But, but shock, right? Jesus holds this man up and he says, what? Fool. Fool, you fool. You have wasted your life. You have missed the entire point of existing. You have stored up wealth for yourself, but you have not been rich towards God. A waste. All that for nothing. Despite taking such great care to prepare and provide for his temporary and his earthly needs, he's totally neglected to think about his eternal and spiritual needs. 
Elsewhere, Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 25, he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world? What will it benefit someone if he has a million barns full of grain, full of stuff? What will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? What will anyone give in exchange for his life? So this story, this challenge from Jesus raises some questions, right? What's he getting at? Is he talking about being rich? Is it a sin to be rich? Is it a sin to have wealth? Is it wrong to want to expand your business, to have lots of money? Is it wrong to have big barns? Well, not necessarily. There's plenty of places in the Bible. The book of Proverbs is a good one. It talks about wealth being a blessing, right? About how it can be a great good, how wealth can, um, can come about how wealth can provide opportunities to do great deeds of mercy. And although about half of the time, this is just in the book of Proverbs, about half of the time it talks about wealth positively, the other half of the time says we're told, we're told not to trust it, not to trust wealth. So Proverbs 11 verse 4, for example, and it's a similar to what passage we just read, he says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So in the story we've just read, we see Jesus expose this man's trust in riches as foolish. Worthless when it comes to judgment day, when his life is demanded of him. Take note, church. Just paraphrasing a little Tim Keller devotional, he writes, and you might have heard similar things, no one on their deathbed cries out, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. I wish I'd spent more time working. I wish I just had a few more bucks in my pocket. No one on their deathbed cries that out. But you see, being wealthy can blind you to the reality of judgment day when you will give an account for how you spent your life. The wise would ask. They would ask judgment day questions now, right? Not wait till then. They would ask those judgment day questions now, like, What is my life amounting to? Who am I really living for? Am I living for God, my neighbor, or am I living for myself? What contribution am I making? But wealth sucks us into a frantic cycle. This is Keller again. We say, I've earned more, so I'll spend more, but now I'm spending more, I need to earn more. And all the time you feel not that well off, which leads you to work more. It has the power to make you far too busy with things that are less important, so absorbed in storing up things for yourself that you can't keep, that you are not rich towards God in the things you cannot lose. It sort of reminds me of those words of the missionary Jim Elliott where he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But having money, it isn't wrong, it isn't evil, If we work hard and budget well, all things which I think the Bible encourages, chances are we will have money, right? But to store it up for ourselves and find security in our savings instead of in God is foolish. So Jesus calls us not to be like that fool who broke his back to build a business with a view to future years of ease that never came. 
Jesus calls us to be rich toward God now. But I don't know, what does that mean? What does it mean to be rich toward God? How do we do that, you and me and all of us here at different stages in different places and different capacities? How do we do that? Well, let's stay in Luke. We'll just go on from verse 22 and we'll read down to verse 34. I'm sure these are verses that a lot of you uh, would have underlined and highlighted in your Bibles. They're they're real favourites of mine. So after telling this story about this foolish man who's putting his trust in riches, Jesus says to his disciples, verse 22, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, even not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Instead of living life trusting in the amount in our saving bank or our real estate portfolio or in our crypto investment, investment, Jesus encourages and teaches his disciples to instead trust in God's provision. Instead of stressing about what to eat, what to wear, Jesus says, you don't need to worry because God knows your need. He says, don't be anxious. He says, don't trust in your riches if you have them and don't be anxious about a lack of riches if you have none. You see, God is the owner of everything, which makes us Not owners, but stewards of money. And as stewards, our job is to use the money he's given us according to his priorities and not our own desires. But what is his ultimate priority? To show off the beauty and excellence of his glory through Jesus Christ. Our money can accomplish this goal as we use it to obey his commands, which are Many in the Bible, like feeding our families, caring for brothers and sisters in difficulty, paying our taxes, being generous, just to name a few. We can fund gospel work as a way we can use money to show off Jesus to the world. Money is fleeting. It's temporary. It's 
in and it's out. The stock exchange crashes and it's gone. A flood comes and your house is gone. These things are fleeting and temporary, but we can exchange it for what is of lasting and eternal value when we use it to demonstrate God's excellence and worth. And we do that by using money in ways that show our delight in God, our trust in God, and our dependence on God. When Jesus, this, this bit shocked me. Again, every time I read it. Jesus talking to his disciples, and I, and I don't think they had a lot of stuff. And he says to them, sell your possessions. They didn't have a lot of possessions, probably. But he still says to them in verse 22, sell your possessions. He doesn't tell them how many possessions to sell, does he? We, we can see in Luke 18, 22, when he's talking to the rich young ruler, the challenge was sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In that instance, he said, sell all your possessions. In Luke 19, verse 8, when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus gave 50% of his possessions. In Acts chapter 4, verse 37, it says, Barnabas sold a field he owned, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So he sold at least one field. But Jesus doesn't tell us how many possessions to sell. But I guess, why does, he sell, why does he say to sell possessions at all? Why? What's his reasoning? Why would we sell our possessions? Why would we go without? It's in the next verse, to give to the poor. The disciples are encouraged to use their money to show love for those without the necessities of life and without the gospel, which is the necessity of eternal life. And it's so important, and it's so precious, and it's such an opportunity that Jesus says, if you don't have any cash to give in your pocket, go and find something to sell so you can give. Wow. I think as you read Jesus' words, as you look through the Bible there is a strong sort of sense or an undercurrent in our Christian life towards simplicity, right? Rather than accumulation, rather than this idea of getting a bigger shed to put our stuff in that we couldn't fit in the house and then the house gets too small so we get a bigger house but we need to get a bigger shed and then we get a storage shed that lives off-site to stash the stuff that doesn't fit in either of those places. But I think the Christian life that we see in the Bible is tending and pushing us and encouraging us towards that idea of simplicity, not in accumulation, right? And I think there's some warnings for those who would chase after those things. We see it again in Luke 18, 24. He says, how hard it is, how hard it is for the rich. And that word lit, rich, lit, where he's saying it literally means those who have things, right? You got things? How hard it is for the rich, to enter the kingdom of God. In Luke 8, verse 14, Jesus warns that riches choke the word of God, but we want to enter the kingdom, don't we? We want to enter the kingdom way more than we want things, surely. We don't want the word of God choked in our lives. We want God glorified in the world, don't we, church? And here Jesus says that selling things and giving to those in need is a way to show the realness and the preciousness of God. 
see the preciousness and, and the Christian community, the church, should model to the world a society in which wealth and possessions, what are they? They're tools. They're just tools for serving others. They're not, as, they're not a means of personal advancement. They're not a means of fulfillment. Sure, we enjoy the stuff and we thank God for that. But that's not what it's about. They're tools to help and to show off how generous and great God is. We put our money where our heart is. Our actions with the stuff we have become an opportunity to worship our God. An aim would be to live, perhaps, for us. Maybe our aim might be to live as modestly as possible within whatever that means for you in your neighborhood in order that we might be as generous as possible because it's such a blessing. It's pretty radical, right? Read verse 32 to 33. Don't be afraid, little flock. Jesus is telling them, stressing out. Don't stress out. Don't be afraid, little flock. You know why? Because your father, that's the God of the universe, the God who owns everything, who created everything, who provides everything, who's given you everything. Your gifts, your talents, your money is all from God. But fear not, little flock. Fear not, church. Because your father delights to give you the kingdom. He's not begrudging. He delights to give us the kingdom. And then he says, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. No flood wipes out. No stock exchange takes away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's pretty radical, right? It's a different mindset. It is your Father's delight to give you the kingdom. What a gift. How do we receive it? By faith, not by works. Our giving and our generosity doesn't gain us the kingdom. Our giving and our generosity is a demonstration that we have received the kingdom. We're just living out who we are now. We're not fighting over crumbs in the table. Our God is the host who's providing all things. We're going around serving one another. You picture that party where there's the perfect host and they've got all that laid out and it's their joy to bring out the meat and the food, the potatoes, the music is there. Everything is provided by the host and we're there. And we know the host. We're not jumping on top of that you know, poor old waiter as he comes out trying to get all the nibblies because where will our next meal come from? No, we take that plate, we're going to serve it around to others because there's another one coming. You know, we don't, we're not squabbling over those little things because we know that our king will provide. It's his joy, it's his delight. We don't need to hold and hoard. We can give, it can come in, it can go out because as that happens, God is, God is glorified and we are seen as people that are not treasuring those things, but we are seen as people that know where it comes from. When we as a people are convinced that what matters is treasure in heaven, not our big stockpiles of money here, we will be constantly, imagine this, we will be constantly, I'm sure we are, constantly dreaming of ways to simplify and to serve, to use our money as a tool, to give and give and give, which means, of course, that we will work and work and work because Ephesians 4.28 says that you're working so that you may have something to share with those in need, right? That's the purpose. This is what it's for. So, 
instead of stressing about looking after ourselves, Jesus encourages us to understand that because we are God's, he will look after us. And because we can be so confident that God will look after us, are you confident in that? Well, try it out. Because we can be so confident that God will look after us, we can go about doing those things that please God. Instead of storing up money in barns, we can sell our possessions and give to the needy. Because we know that God delights to give us the kingdom, we can gladly give of what we've got. You know what? It's all God's anyway. Instead of trusting in earthly riches, we trust God and we give generously. He's given us the kingdom. Why would we seek to stash away the crumbs for ourselves? Working out at the Burnett Youth Learning Centre over, over a period of time, I've observed a certain type of student. There's many different types of students. But there's a certain type of student that when they come, they go straight to where the food bowl is. They go straight to where the oranges and the apples. They go to straight to where we provide toast. If you've ever been to the Burnett Youth Learning Centre, you know there's no shortage of food. It just spills out of the kitchen. Part of what we love to do. There's a certain type of student that will come and they'll go straight to the food bowl and you'll just see them stashing their pockets, right? Loading up with oranges and toast scraps and apples and more than they can eat. Why do they do that? It's because they've experienced a period in their life where they went without. And so even though that might have been years ago, it's an ingrained habit that when they see food out, they just need to stash it away just in case, right? Now, that's sad, and that's a reflection of the society we live in, but I just can't help thinking how it relates to what we're talking about now. We have been given the kingdom, and yet Jesus says, Are you of little faith? Are you taking what I've given you to be a blessing to the whole community? Are you taking what I have given and entrusted to you to be used for the advancement of my glory and my name so people would know and come to trust in a God that is good, who is generous and merciful and powerful, that overflows in unfailing love and generosity? Are you taking that, stuffing your pockets It's going to go rotten in there. It's not what it's for. I can't help thinking that we can be like that student at the learning center. Although the time has passed when you once relied on those things and now you live in a place where there's blessing and abundance, you've entered the kingdom. There's no shortage. God is not going to run out. Although we are there, if we've put our trust in Jesus, do we still stash our pockets And rely on the things that we have. Well, church, I'm just saying, let's not do that, right? We can be those people at the party, right? That when the host brings that food out, instead of jumping on it, we take it and we share it around with others. And you know what? 
If you've got to take your shirt off and give it to someone who's cold, you can do that because we live in a community of people that are doing that, right? We're going to look out for each other. This should be our heartbeat. This will show forth the sort of God that we worship. I nearly finished. But just to conclude, when we recognize our roles as stewards, right, as managers of what God has given, we're not going to seek to accumulate more and more stuff. We will seek to live simply and maximize our generosity towards those around us, and especially those in the family of God who are also doing the same. So we're going to be helping each other out in this journey. We're going to look to Jesus, who though being God didn't take advantage of that. What did he do? He emptied himself. He became a man. He became a servant. He gave everything. He gave everything to the point of death. Jesus is not asking you to do something that he hasn't done already. He's not looking and saying, sell your possessions. And we're going, yeah, Jesus, you don't know what's going to happen if I do that. He does know. He lived in that. He was a working class fella. He knew what it was like. But he still says it's such a joy to do it. Do it. So look to Jesus. He gave everything in order that all who trust in him would have the kingdom. Jesus became impoverished so that you could become rich, not with earthly riches, right, that are temporary, but with the true riches. He restored our relationship. He restored our eternal, so that we could have eternal joy and be lavished with love by the Father forever. This is what Jesus has done. He didn't hold on to that. He gave it freely and he joyfully did it. May we be the same so that we can reflect our Savior. Now, if you're anything like me, you come to this point in the sermon and we're going to finish. And we're going to pray, right? Because like I said at the start, when we hold this sort of example up, none of us are walking out of here going, yeah, I'm nailing that. No one is. But as we look to Jesus... And as we put our trust in him, and as we recognize that we can't do these things, but with God, these things are possible. And so the challenge is to be bold. Don't be afraid. Use the things that you've got for the glory of God. And let's pray right now that that would happen. So if you just close your eyes, let's pray together. Precious Savior. We are humbled because what you have done is so far above what we could ever do. Your generosity towards us, it's on another scale. Yet we know that because of what you have done, the treasure you have won for us, we do not need to fear or worry. You have freed us to live generously with the power and the strength that you provide. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray for the help we need to take practical steps so that you would be visibly seen in this world by your people's generosity. Make us like you, Jesus. Don't let our hearts regard our money and possessions as our treasure, with you just as a means to an end. Direct our hearts to make you our most precious treasure, and so see and use our worldly things as mere tools for serving others. Help us never to put financial security before loving others, 
Let us use our money to love people who are poor, to love people who don't know you, and to love people with needs in our families and in our church. To you be all the glory for all our lives. Amen. Thanks, church.